Good morning. My name is Nick. I'm one of the pastors here at Holland Chapel, and uh, I am truly honored to be here uh, to speak to you from God's Word this morning. We're at the halfway point of our Kingdom Life series, and uh, I just got to say, I, I am just truly humbled every single time I get to stand up here as I think about the ministry and the history of Holland Chapel. Did you know that next year uh, we're celebrating our 75th anniversary, and we've got some big plans we're going to be sharing with you in the coming months, but uh, it's, it's going to be a big year for Holland Chapel next year, and it just humbles me as I stand up here thinking of all the men who have proclaimed the gospel um, to Holland Chapel over the years, and I am just honored to be here, and I'm excited about this passage of scripture that we're in. Jesus has been describing how a relationship with him should affect one's life. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. Why? Because he preached it from a mountain and uh, got real creative there, but uh, we don't call it that. We didn't make that up. We probably would have come up with a more creative uh, title, I'm sure, but anyway, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is describing what a relationship with him does to an individual. It affects how we interact with others. It affects how we react. It affects the, uh, how the gospel impacts every area of our lives. And truly following Jesus will change your outlook. It will change your attitude. And in this passage, Jesus also addresses some things that every believer should be doing as a result of that relationship. Uh, every believer, as a result of a relationship with Jesus Christ, should be doing these things that Jesus mentions in Matthew chapter 6. That's where we're at this morning, if you want to turn there. In the middle of, and we're pretty much right in the middle of his sermon. And he uh, addresses these three things. And before we talk about them, I want you to know a couple of uh, facts about this passage. One, Jesus is not debating whether or not these should be done. In these, uh, in these three spiritual disciplines, as we call them, he's not saying whether or not uh, these things should be done. It's a given that they are disciplines that should be a part of every believer's life. So as we read this and you think, oh, uh, that's missing from my life, then, then maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking to you there. Number two, he's not telling us how to carry them out. He's not telling us how much to give. He's not telling us what time to pray. He's not telling us how long to fast. He's not giving details of how to carry these things out. In this passage, Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, Jesus is speaking basically about one thing. He's speaking about motive. He's speaking about the motive behind these actions. We know that word motive. You hear it in the movies. You hear it on TV, we deal with motive in relationships or in the workplace. Motive means this, a, a reason for doing something, especially one that is hidden or not obvious. If you watch the, the FBI shows like I do, the, the detectives are always looking for motive. We find ourselves wondering if our coworkers have ulterior motives. In relationships, you wonder what their motive is. We might find ourselves questioning our spouse or when our children clean their rooms or use their manners, we may say, what are you up to? We're questioning motives all the time. Speaking of kids, if you ever watched uh, Thomas the Train, you got to watch out for that guy. He's got loco motives. I told Chris I had a joke and it wasn't even funny, but I was going to share it anyway. In this passage, Jesus warns us about a motive that we all have from time to time. And I'll just raise my hand, guilty. We all have the motive from time to time of wanting a little attention. And that's what Jesus is address, addressing here is that motive of attention. We like attention. 
especially when we've done something good, right? It's nice to be noticed. It's nice to have your name in the lights, to, to get a headline, to get a pat on the back. It's, it's, it's fun to be noticed. It makes you feel good. And that's the danger that we're going to read about here because changing Jesus changing your life results in good works. It results in what the Bible calls acts of righteousness. And as we do these acts of righteousness, it's going to be tempting to get noticed for them. Because they come, up, they come about as a result of our life being changed. You see, internal heart change produces external action. And Grant wrapped up sermon last week uh, with verse 48 where the Bible says, even, uh, but, but you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And as we're trying to look more and more like Jesus and do those acts of righteousness and those good works, we're gonna be, it's going to be quite tempting to say, hey, see what I did. You notice what I did back there. You saw me do that. And Jesus knows that's coming. And so right here in chapter 6, right after he says that, he preaches against motive or to motive. He follows immediately with a warning for us to check our motives. And that's where we're going to begin reading in verse number 1. The Bible says, Watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do it as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. If you're imitating Christ, see, you will give. Jesus doesn't debate that. He says, when you give, H.C. Holland Chapel is full of such generous people. And I want to take every opportunity I can to say thank you for giving. That's why we uh, usually mention that on Sundays. We say thank you, thank you for your generosity. You give inside these walls. You give outside these walls. You are imitating Christ and you are giving. Just this week, the, uh, the third quarter giving statements went out uh, to you in the mail. And I wanted to uh, speak to one note that was on there. It's a, a, actually a way that you can give more without giving more on that statement letter there's a little um, information about a new option on the online giving you know how when you use your debit card or credit card at stores and things and there's always fees attached and they want you to pay those fees well there's a there's a there's a button now on the online giving that you can click that says pay fees and so when you give there's obviously fees that associate with your bank account or your debit card or your credit card and and those fees go to the church and so you could actually give more without giving more by clicking pay the fees there and it would save the church a whole lot of money over the course of the year see since covid we've gone from uh, receiving about 30 percent of online giving to about 70 percent of online giving and with that means more fees and so just want to make you aware of that as you're going to get that letter in the mail but in that, I want to say thank you, because you are truly incredible. Back to our passage here, the Bible says, when you give, not if you have something left over and give, not if God allows you to pay all your bills and then you give. Three times in these four verses, Jesus says, when you give, when you give, and then he says, give your gifts. And again, notice he doesn't, doesn't talk about how much. He's not giving a uh, uh, how, to, how to do it. He's giving a how not to do it. And he says, don't do it as the hypocrites do. Now, hypocrites here was a word referring to uh, the actors on a Greek stage who would put on masks to play a different role. In other words, being fake. 
And Jesus in this passage says, don't be fake. What are your motives? He says, don't be fake like the hypocrites do as they put a mask on to hide what their true motives are. What's your motive when you give? Is it because you love God or is it to get attention, recognition? Jesus gives some other illustration here, and it's possible that when he talks about uh, blowing trumpets in the synagogue and streets, it's possible that he's referring to a call to giving, like a, a loud trumpet call for everybody to come in and, and give their offering, or maybe a, a trumpet that announced a large gift, or even uh, some uh, f- uh, uh, commenta- commentators believe that it was even referring to the large coins being dropped into this trumpet-shaped money holder. I, I don't know which one, all of which could be true, but Uh, I believe Jesus is teaching in his usual uh, way of giving visual aids. He's really good at that. And and I don't think that we have to wonder what he's talking about. I believe we understand. In fact, we've all heard that phrase, toot your own horn. We've all heard that. We know what that means. Jesus is saying, don't announce it when you give. I've never been guilty of blowing a trumpet, but I've announced it. I don't, know, I don't know about you, but I've announced it. I've made sure that that got worked into a conversation, or I've made sure that, that, uh, that, that people were aware of what I did. Don't announce it. Don't toot your own horn. If my motives are pure, I will give out of love. And it won't matter who sees. One of the best quotes that I've seen on this. I love this. I I would love it if you would just apply this to your life this week, but a a, a, a really incredible writer named Bob Goff, he's quite funny too, but Bob Goff said this. I think it's going to be on the screen. He said, when love has an agenda, it's not love. If you're giving for an ulterior motive or or with an agenda, then it's, it's not love. Does your giving have an agenda? Jesus gives further instruction in verse 3 here. He says, But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That seems kind of odd because all of our body parts work together. Obviously, our left hand is going to know when our right hand gives. But I think Jesus is talking about here discretion. Have you ever played cards with a child? I'm going to call mine out. She's down front. She's a little bit better at it now, but... Uh, a couple years ago, you know, they don't hide their cards very well. Whether you're playing Uno or, or whatever you're playing, they have a tendency to show you their hand, to reveal their hand. Jesus here is saying, be discreet. Do you give revealing your hand? Is that how you give? Follower of Jesus, don't give with the wrong motive. That's what Jesus is saying here. Look at the next verse, verse number 5. It says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father who sees everything will reward you. And when you pray, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him. You see, they would have had two or three set prayer times a day. And Jesus is speaking of some people here who would arrange to be in just the perfect public place when it got time to pray. 
Like they would make sure that they were in the middle of the, uh, of the public area or they would make sure they were right on a street corner where everybody could see that they were spending that time praying. And he again calls these people hypocrites. Why? Because they're masking their motive. They, they are not waiting on this prayer time in order to talk to God. They're waiting on this time as an opportunity to be noticed or to gain attention, to look spiritual. See, prayer is a, it's a good thing. It's a, it's a necessary thing. It's an incredible gift that we've been given. But they were misusing it. On Wednesday nights, we're in a series called Issues with our teenagers. And uh, I, I'm having a blast with this, ish, with, this, uh, with this series. You notice there the I and the you kind of stand out. And that's because I have issues and you have issues. And, and we talk with our students about their issues. And one of the verses that we're trying to get them to memorize, one of the verses that we mention every single week is Psalm 55:22, which says, Give your burdens to the Lord. We're able to do that through prayer. But these hypocrites, as Jesus called them, were twisting that gift for attention. When we pray, God alone should be our audience. shouldn't matter who's watching or who's listening or, or if we use fancy words or not. God is our audience. And it, you might say, Nick, wait a minute. Are you saying there's no place for public prayer? We just had public prayer here in front of everyone. Is there no place for that? Is Jesus teaching against public prayer? No, he's not teaching. Again, he's speaking to motive. Here again, he's using a metaphor. This time, he, it's a metaphor for privacy. Jesus says, go into your, in other versions say, secret room. Most of the people then in their house wouldn't even have had a secret room. Jesus is speaking about privacy. In fact, in his model prayer that's coming up in just a, a few verses, he begins it with our Father. Notice the plural there, our Father. He would have been speaking about a public prayer. So it's nothing, there's nothing wrong with public prayer. There's also nothing wrong with long prayers, which you might uh, be confused by if you read verse 7. Verse 7 says, when you pray, don't babble on and on as the people of other religions do. Remember, Jesus is speaking to motive. When he says, as the people of other religions do, he's referring back to the book of 1 Kings. And this is an example when the prophets of Baal and Elijah, and they had built the altar, and the prophets of Baal just babbled on and on, begging, begging for their false God to answer all day long, calling out to him to no avail. Jesus himself prayed through the night. He's not speaking about uh, against long prayers, he's speaking about motive. He's saying, don't repeat mindlessly over and over again like those prophets of Baal did. And don't stand before everyone and say, look at me, I'm more spiritual, I'm more religious than you. I can use these big words and I'm trying to impress you instead of talking to my audience of one. What's your motive when you pray? Do you give your burdens to the Lord or try to sound spiritual? You look like you've got it all together. Prayer is an incredible gift. May we never misuse it. And Jesus there offers a, a model prayer, and it's, we're not going to spend uh, time there this morning, but it is interesting. I, I find it interesting that that's often called the Lord's Prayer. When technically Jesus is telling us how to pray, it, it should be more like the disciples' prayer. The Lord's Prayer is in John 17 when he prays for you and for I in one of those long prayers. This is a, a model prayer. It's not a uh, a prayer that we should just repeat over and over and over again. That, in fact, would be speaking against his very teaching. Jesus here is giving you a model, a sample. 
In other words, if you find yourself babbling on and on and on, look here at Jesus' model prayer. The third discipline that he addresses is found in verse 16. We'll pick up reading there in verse 16. He's spoken about the motive behind our giving and the motive behind our prayer. In verse 16, we find another discipline. And when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face, then no one will notice that you are fasting except your Father, who knows what you do in private, and your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. Notice again, right off the bat, we read, when you. Fasting is another behavior that should be common among believers. You might say, well, what in the world is fasting? I've heard all kinds of definitions. This is one of the best ones that I've read. Fasting means abstaining from food or anything that's controlling you. Abstaining from food or anything that controls you and feasting on God. For any amount of time, it could be a half a day, it could be an hour, it could be a day, it could be a week. Fasting is uh, abstaining from food or anything that's controlling you and feasting on God. And as you can imagine, we just said that it's abstaining from something that controls you, so they could be difficult. It can be difficult, and remember, when we do something difficult and we accomplish that, what do we want? We want attention. We want to say, look at me. And that's what they were doing here. They made sure that everyone around knew they had their hair all messed up. They looked miserable. They probably walked in saying, I'm starving. I haven't eaten. I've been fasting. And they made it so obvious because they wanted attention because they were accomplishing something that was a a difficult task. We want to brag about our self-control. And a third time, Jesus describes doing the right thing for the wrong reason. In this case, like I said, they were making their fasting very obvious. If fasting is a part of your life, and it should be, what is your motivation? Is it to spend time feasting on the Word of God? Or is it so that you can tell everybody around you, I'm, I'm, I'm looking more and more like Jesus. I just fasted this week. Is it to focus your attention on God or to have others focus on you? Is it to have more of him in your life or to have others think more of you? If it's the latter, Jesus basically says enjoy it because he says that's the only reward they will ever get. In all three instances, Jesus says that others noticing what you're doing is the only reward that you're going to receive. So ultimately, we've got to decide which is more valuable to us. Which is more valuable to me as I go through life, the praise, the applause, the the recognition, the acknowledgement of those people around me, or God's recognition? That's the decision we have to make. Jesus says, if you do those things, they're going to recognize you and enjoy it because that's the reward that you're going to get. So is that more valuable than doing it to honor the Lord? He sees us. And that should be enough. I do have one funny fasting story. Uh, and, and, and don't, again, just remember, Jesus is speaking to motive here. If someone finds out that you've been fasting, it doesn't not count. 
You don't have to go to extreme measures. It's, it's again, about being discreet. It's about motive. It's checking to make sure you're not doing it for attention. Several years ago, Jason Talent was the, one of the pastors here, and he and I would go out on Friday mornings. And, and this particular Friday, he had decided to ask us to fast. And so we were fasting this, this particular Friday, and we would go out and and see some folks in, in their homes from the church. And this day, we were to, to see Miss Gussie Brown. Now, if you know Miss Gussie Brown, she was about 97 at this time, maybe 95. But uh, she's since passed away, and she was just a sweet, sweet lady. It was right before Christmas time, and Miss Gussie was famous for making hundreds and hundreds of cookies that she would give just bagfuls of cookies to all of her family for Christmas. And I don't remember, I don't think, Keaton, I think it was just me and Jason. And uh, we go in there, and we're visiting with her. And, of course, the house just smells of chocolate chip cookies and all your favorite uh, things. And this was right off. I mean, this was the first stop because she just lived right over here. And just to know that Satan is going to come after you if you try to do this. So we walk in, and Miss Gussie, it just smells of just deliciousness. And she would not take no for an answer for us to have those cookies. We said, no, Miss Gussie, we just, you know, we, it's early in the morning. We, we don't need a cookie. No, thank you. Just save them for your family. She would not take no for an answer. So we reluctantly uh, took those cookies. Uh, I don't remember how many she gave us, but we walked. We didn't eat. We just kept talking. We, we take them out to the van, and as soon as we open, I think he opened the, passenger, the driver door, and I opened the passenger door. We opened the door and threw them to the back of the van as fast as we could. <laughs> Satan was trying to get us right off the bat on the first stop that morning. What's your motivation for fasting? Now, you might, if you've been with us through this series, you might say, Nick, isn't this contradicting? I'm pretty sure that just a few weeks ago in chapter 5, we read where Jesus said in this very same sermon, you are the light of the world. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see. So Nick, isn't that contradicting what he's telling us here? In chapter 5, Jesus is referring to believers shying away from doing good because they were afraid of persecution. It's two different things here. Jesus is saying on these, let your good deeds shine for all to see, not so that you can get a pat on the back. He follows it up by saying that the result would be praise for God, not praise for man. And so he's saying in that instance, let those good deeds shine out. Don't be afraid of persecution. And now two chapters later or one chapter later, he's saying do these things in private. Now your, your head's spinning. You say, Nick, I, wait a minute, I'm confused. Public, private, what is going on here? How do I know? I'm going to give you one more quote this morning. And this one, I think, describes it. And I want you just to make this part of your life as you go through, not just today, tomorrow, next week. A pastor by the name of A.B. Bruce, said he, he said this, Show when tempted to hide, and hide when tempted to show. That'll check your motives. Show when you're tempted to hide, and hide when you're tempted to show. If you're afraid to, to, to be bold and to stand out because of persecution or because you're going to look different, we talked about this with our teenagers uh, just this past Wednesday. Many of them put that their issue was fitting in. And we told them from Scripture that you're not made to fit in, you're made to stand out. And so if you're tempted to hide, then show it. If you're tempted to show for, uh, for acknowledgement or for accolades, hide it. Jesus leads to inner change, which leads to outer work, 
More than just these three, by the way. And with the proper motivation behind those works, that is what kingdom life looks like. Jesus changing our lives on the inside. Us doing those acts of righteousness far more than just giving and fasting and praying. And with the right motivation, that's living the kingdom life. I want to close with a question. If no one knows but God, are you okay with that? If no one knows but God, and you can put that in whatever situation you want, maybe it's giving something to a homeless person, maybe it's uh, having someone stay at your house, maybe it's donating something, maybe it's giving of your time, maybe it's your prayer life, maybe it's uh, a a one-month fast. If no one knows but God, are you okay with that? And this morning, I want to ask you, church, to respond. There's four ways that, or three ways that we respond here at Holland Chapel. One is in person. There's going to be some people at the Connect Corner back there that would love to talk with you. See, a kingdom life, the beginning of it is, is trusting Jesus for salvation. Now, I want to tell you a little bit about God's motivation. God's motivation for sending his son Jesus from heaven to earth was a relationship with you. That was his motivation. He wants to have a relationship with you. And again, keep referring back to these issues series because that's what's been on my mind the last several months or the last couple of months. We told our students the biggest issue they're ever going to face is sin. And Jesus came from heaven to earth to help us solve that issue. The Bible says if we placed our faith and trust in him and what he did on the cross and through his resurrection, that we can be saved. We ask him to forgive us of our sins and there we have that relationship with God that begins with interchange, results in external action, and with a proper motivation, it looks like living the kingdom life. If you don't know Jesus this morning, please come and see me. I'll be right down here. We'll have some people right over there at the Connect Corner. They would love for you to respond this morning in person. Also, you can respond by using that Connect card. Maybe you want us to hold you accountable for something that you are committing to this morning. Maybe you're a first-time guest and your next step is just to mark first-time guest and see what that gift is and, and, and meet a welcoming face back there. Whatever it is, you can respond with your Connect card. And then I just want to ask that everyone in the room take action this morning. Maybe you realize that you've not been doing these three things and it convicts you when you see that Jesus says, when you, when you, when you, not if you. And if those three spiritual disciplines aren't a part of your life, They need to be, especially if you're trying to follow Jesus. Maybe this morning you realize that your motives in one of those areas are wrong. And you need to remember that when you're tempted to to hide, show. And when you're tempted to show, hide. Whatever it is, church, respond to Jesus' words this morning from Matthew chapter 6. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for... This incredible passage, I want to thank you for knowing what we're going to struggle with. Even as you would preach this sermon and you realized as we attempt to be perfect, as you are perfect, we're going to be also tempted to be prideful, to seek attention, and to have wrong motives. And you gave us the warning, Lord. May we heed that warning this morning. 
Lord, I pray that if there's one in this room that does not know you as their Savior, that they would realize that that, above all, is the most important thing that they need to do this morning. And Lord, for others in the room that that need to take up one of these spiritual disciplines and make it a part of their life so that we can look more and more like you and live the kingdom life that you've called us to, Lord, may we make that commitment as well. I pray that your Holy Spirit would move among your people today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.